Welcome to the Underhand Free Throw, the basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. And it is the last day of February that we are recording. And we're going to bounce around the NBA today and talk about a whole bunch of subjects. It's actually an interesting time of year in the NBA, which I I feel like didn't used to be the case. This used to be the doldrums. This used to be, okay, trade deadlines over, all-star breaks over. We now enter into this dead zone where half the teams are tanking and a lot of playoff seeds are set. But it's a different NBA now, and we've got a lot going on we'll talk about the play-in race later in this podcast and you know that kind of being the main reason probably for why the nba is a lot more interesting these past couple years at this point in time but we're also going to talk about a couple of prominent things happening closer to the a couple of things happening at the top of the standings and also just sort of some exciting off offensive things that are happening not offensive but offensive concerned with offense what do you want to talk about first simon I mean, depending on how you feel about the NBA's current enforcement of of rules that benefit, you know, offensive players and make things difficult on defense, they they might be offensive to you regardless. <laughs> they are <laughs> offensive to a lot of fans. There's a lot of... Yeah. Are fans complaining more than they ever have before? Or do I just forget every... Is this the one thing that I forget every year that This NBA is the fans one thing just, you forget every year. <laughs> they're just, we're just whiny. There's yeah. a certain fan that only wants to whine. They need a name. It's not casuals because sometimes these players are or these fans are diehards, but it's people who you only ever see them say negative things. They're just mad all the time and they'll follow the NBA for 20 years. And every single year they'll say the NBA's ruined. This is the worst season ever. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if you are that listeners at home, if this describes you, hit us up on Discord or YouTube and tell us about that mentality because I don't I don't get it. I have days when I'm like that personally. I try to make it, you know, less often than not. But, you know, there, there's definitely days where I'm watching basketball and, you know, for whatever reason, there just aren't any good games on to watch and all the teams I don't like are winning. And it just feels like, you know, the league isn't as competitive as I like, like would like it to be. That's normally my main focus I, I uh, go to. Although this has been a good season for that. Like we've had overall a pretty, pretty competitive NBA this year. Yeah, one of the more competitive seasons in recent memory i think there was that one season where the the three-point shooting fouls got out of control and not just the three-point shooting fouls but also just like that a guard was allowed to at any time just throw himself into a defender with his arms out draw contact and that was going to be a foul 90 percent of the time that was pretty annoying because it it did feel like okay what do you you can play perfectly fundamentally sound defense and you know you you can call for a foul yeah, I think the thing now, though, is teams are playing perfectly beautiful, fundamentally sound defense, and it's 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 not enough. And it has nothing to do with fouls. Fouls are down this year. It's it's just offenses are so good. I know we talked about, yeah. I know what we want to talk about the Bucks, but maybe let's get into just a couple of things that happened since we're talking about this offense right now. One of those things was the Kings versus Clippers game the other night. Did you catch much of that? Wasn't watching it live, but yeah, I did see the highlights. I think both teams were in the 140s at the time that the first overtime started, Mm. right? And then at the end of the second overtime, both teams were in the mid-170s, you know, second highest scoring game in NBA history. And the first, I believe the first highest scoring one, it was in the... It was the Nuggets, and of course it was the Nuggets, right? The team that's always famous for their yeah. high-octane offense and no defense. 
so at some point in the 80s they had a game which was even higher scoring than this but that game was like four overtimes yeah. So the fact that this game came close to it in only two overtimes was uh, pretty surprising. It's still funny to look at the score. It looks it looks dumb. <laughs> 176 to 175. And then you figured you'd watch, you know, you figure, oh, these teams must be brutal on defense. But I don't think that was really the case. See, they were they were working on defense. They were scrambling. They were switching around. It just yeah. felt like any time one player got lost on a lost on a switch or in an awkward moment the team would just immediately turn that into a pull-up three. You know, there was a lot of uh, the Kings taking advantage of the Clippers in transition and turning every single made Clippers bucket into a transition opportunity is how it felt. It was just like Clippers score. All of a sudden, Sacramento's running down the other end and generating some kind of awkwardness and just bang, pull-up three. This isn't the league we grew up in. You know, we're at a point now where if you look at the shot data on NBA.com, you can still filter for the most contested shots, which are, you know, a defender is basically within three to six feet when the shot is released. And those are still, for the most part, teams aren't great at making those. But anything outside of that, anything other than the perfect contest as the shot is being released is just, you know, every player on the court in a typical NBA game is going to make 36, 37, 38% of those from three from behind the arc, you know, and, and don't even try to defend at the rim if you aren't you know, in perfect guarding position because, you know, every player for the most part is a pretty good finisher. Or if you try to double team them and, and shut off their and shut off their lane to the rim, it's even worse because they're just going to kick it out to an open shooter. So it doesn't really feel like there's any, you know, good way to really defend a modern NBA offense with the, you know, rule set that we're currently playing under at least. How does it feel as a Blazers fan to watch Nicholas Batum basically not be able to miss open threes? Would have been nice to have that. <laughs> I mean, he he had a few games in Portland when he got hot. You know, he definitely wasn't given as much of a green light to just, you know, take 30 foot step back threes as he is now. You know, that wasn't necessarily happening. But, you know, he had some games where he got hot. He was definitely a streaky shooter back then. I think his consistency has improved quite a bit. And he was also a much more athletic, dynamic player off the bounce. So he wasn't, you know, just a standstill shooter. <laughs> in his you know mid-20s when he was in Portland. But yeah, it's just crazy how all of these veteran role players, their job now is basically just, you know, work on your shot and work on your ability to switch and and defend smaller or larger players. And that's going to be your role, you know, unless you're a guy who can create with the ball in your hands. Which I mean Batum kind of can, or at least he used to be able to. Yeah. I mean it was it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Batum was a point forward in charlotte and you know helping them make a playoff appearance and stuff like that but now it's just you know here's here's a six eight guy who's you know still got some strength and some wiliness and who has the ike to play in a you know modern nba offense and keep the ball moving and hit you know in the high 30s from three when he's open you know that's that's good enough as a role player we don't need you to do anything else than that there's a lot of guys in the league now who kind of fit that archetype i think batum is has a crazy stat over the past couple of years. He's he's hitting like forty five percent on threes when he's open. He still yeah. he's not he's not an incredible three point shooter overall, but he's you know, if I mean if he's playing on a team that generates some open threes, he's certainly contributing and he's definitely shooting. I feel back in Portland with Nick Batum, they kept going back and forth between or I don't know if this was him or the team, but it was like couldn't decide whether he was supposed to be like a three and D wing or like an off the dribble sort of future star, and it felt like. 
in different seasons, he would kind of switch roles. Maybe some of that just had to do with shooting confidence or other players being on the other players that were on the court around him. But, you know, it, it felt by the end of his time there in Portland, he wasn't really wanted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of the inconsistency with Batum drove you a little crazy. And I think that in Charlotte, you know, the Hornets fans got to experience that themselves. But you know, it's it's definitely I'm not going to blame a guy for having a shooting inconsistency. You have cold nights. There's there's going to be nights where things just aren't going in for you. It was more, you know, a night to night effort and intensity consistency with Batum that really drove you crazy. So, yeah, even for a guy who has ability and and promise, you know, the difference between a role player and a star is the ability to do it every night. And it's it's rare for any player to have that. It's definitely not a problem that was unique with Batum. Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking, cause you know, the other, the other offensive standout performance we want to talk about is more at an individual level with Damian Lillard scoring 71 points the other night. Yeah. And it was making, it was making me think about Dame's kind of whole career. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about, oh, what if they, what if, what if Batum had kind of just stuck it out there and, you know, maybe still had a couple of growing pain seasons and maybe still had the injury problems he had in Charlotte, but he's the exact kind of he would he could have you know grown up with his career as like the sort of perfect Damian Lillard wingman they could have used him in a in a bunch of different roles and just for them to have that level of the defender on the wing is something that they've been trying to accomplish basically ever since Batum left and Batum wasn't that level of defender back then he was solid on defense he he wasn't the small ball tapping out entry passes deny defense monster that he's been for a few years in, in on the Clippers right now but but yeah, anyways, this is let's talk about Dame more than Batum, even though I do like me some some Nick Batum chats. A slightly more relevant trailblazer. Yeah. yeah. In this day and age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as people keep saying he's the best trailblazer of all time. Would you put him over Clyde Drexler? Yeah, so I mean Clyde Drexler was a little before my time. By the time I started yeah, watching the NBA, I think he was, you know, near retirement and he hadn't played with the Blazers for a while. But you know, I Damian Lillard has I mean, the one thing that Clyde had over Damian Lillard was kind of like the the statistical performance and the fact that he did make a finals run. Didn't necessarily perform very well in that finals, but he did make it there. But I think Damian Lillard has surpassed him both both statistically, right? He's now the Blazers' all-time leading scorer. But I think also, even though Damian Lillard doesn't have a finals appearance to his name, he does have several very iconic playoff moments. So I think that memory, you know, even if, even if Damian Lillard never ends up making an NBA Finals, we're never going to forget like the walk-off, you know, series-ending super deep threes against both Houston and uh, against the Thunder. You know, those are just timeless NBA moments. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about, you know, how to, how to classify him or what's you know where he ranks all time and things like that. And this one, and I I don't know about big picture and obviously his career isn't over yet. So it's kind of silly to be like, is he top 50? Is he blah, blah, blah. Who who knows where he'll end up, but. Especially because he's having his best year this year. So he's, he's not exactly done yet. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking, is he already out of like, if you just, if you just zero in on small guards, you know, guys under six, four, let's say, is he the, third best offensive small guard of all time even if he retired tomorrow so you're going curry first yeah and it's i i don't know isaiah thomas in that discussion pistons uh, isaiah thomas I, I i don't think 
Pistons Isaiah Thomas has the the longevity longevity. He really only has a few years of being a really dominant offensive force. And then he's more of a yeah. pretty good offensive, like a really good offensive player on a stacked defensive team. So no, for me, it's for me, it's I'm thinking Curry and Nash. Okay. And and then after that, I think I have a hard time coming up with someone I definitely put over Dame Willard. I think Isaiah Thomas is someone that you have to think about while you're doing it. I think you can think about John Stocks. Maybe the all around maybe the all around game with Isaiah Thomas more than just like explosive individual offensive output. Yeah. Um, I mean, Cause I, he I, was, he's a better really good defensive player. Yeah. Yeah. And I give Isaiah Thomas a lot of credit for just being a small guard that could score in that era. It's not like there was seven guys like that in the eighties. It was kind of just him. No. So I do understand why older fans worship Isaiah just on this tiny body fling himself into the lane and get to that little mid-range pull-up and people weren't doing that that took some that took some toughness in an in a age where defense was played very differently and it was still definitely a big man's game more than you know bird, bird and magic and but I, I at think... least big big players even if they weren't necessarily centers because yeah. bird and magic were both you know huge for their positions that they played yeah but none of us grew up watching isaiah thomas play but people tend to take those couple of years of where he was this huge offensive star and imagine they happened at the same time as when the Pistons were winning titles and they kind of just kind of create a collage and call Isaiah Thomas a top five all-time point guard. Whereas like, if you kind of break yeah. it down season by season, that's not what it was. I think it's, you know, he was the best player on a, on a team that won two titles. And that also, well, that sounds like that's a top 10 all-time guy. But again, I think when you spend some time in the details with Isaiah Thomas, it becomes a little bit harder to make that case. Yeah. But but Dame is just, I mean, while he's not Steph Curry, he's like, in terms of just like a, a, a guard that scores and puts pressure on the offense and utilizes the three-pointer like that and just has this scoring resiliency. It's just like, the Dame kind of reminds me a little bit of Kobe Bryant in just this, you think you're, there's, mm-hmm. I, I always rooted against, Kobe, which was made him a very frustrating player because he would just do things that didn't make sense. Like you're, you're going into crunch time. He's playing against your favorite team and he's just hitting these very silly shots. Now, Kobe was doing it in the mid range, not, but every now and then Kobe would take up and hit a pull up three that you just feel was completely unfair. And Dame, that's like what he makes his name off of is, is these, <laughs> I've sat through so many Portland crunch times where I'm where I've just come to expect there's at least like a 50-50 chance that Dame is just going to hit four pull-up threes and and put this game away or keep this game competitive or it's happened too many times where it's just this is so silly. I don't think I've ever been rooting against Dame but I I can imagine what it would feel like. I think it's hard to avoid the Curry comparison really just because there's no other player we've ever seen that you know has a similar type of like scoring gravity effect and the crazy thing with dame is it's easy to think of the trailblazers as some incredible offensive team just because you know for so many years they're in the top five or even in the top three of offense in the nba and you know they've they've just been a very good offensive team for dame's entire tenure but that isn't necessarily because they have a wealth of offensive talent surrounding him. Damian Lillard really is the driving force of that. Even this season, you know, they they are they have an offensive rating that would be number 1 in the league when he's on the floor and they're pretty bad when he's not, you know, even though they have another really high-level offensive creating guard in Anthony Simons. It's they not the bottom. same as when as when Damian Lillard's on the floor. Yeah. They were bottom 5 offense last year with with Dame only playing 
29 games and being hurt while he was out there. So yeah, they were terrible. And it's basically the same team this year. I mean, you added Jeremy Grant, who's good, you know, but also Jeremy Grant is a guy who over 90% of his threes are assisted, right? He's not really an offensive creator. He's more of a catch and shoot guy. Damian Loder is still the engine making this thing go. Um, and Portland tries to stagger his minutes and Anthony's minutes. And you, you want to think that Anthony does a close approximate approximation of Damian Lillard, but it's really not even close at this, at this time, at least, you know, hopefully Anthony will grow into that. But then the other thing I want to say, it's the scoring gravity with Damian Lillard that makes this team, despite the fact that they start, you know, two pretty mediocre offensive players alongside him, you know, speaking of Yusuf Nurkic and, and, you know, Cam Reddish and the rotating <laughs> cast of characters that oh. make up that, that wing rotation. I don't know who else to compare Dame to. There's no one else in the NBA besides him and Curry who can consistently hit, you know, 35 foot pull up threes, you know, and who has that lightning quick release and who defenses are just terrified of regardless where they're on the, you know, where they are outside the three point line. And, you know, Damon Laird doesn't do it as consistently as Curry. His efficiencies have, you know, never been quite to Curry's level, but you know, it, it's the closest thing we've ever seen to, to Steph. I don't think Dame has ever embraced that same level of of off ball game that Curry has. Dame has a nice off ball game. We've seen him come off like staggered screen sets a million times and stick dagger jumpers, but he's mostly still going to have the ball in his hand and is not in his hands and yeah. he's not. He's not going to commit to. I'm going to jog around, waving my head side to side for four straight he's, possessions. Yeah. And he's a normal superstar level that's like committed to playing off ball. Where he's good, he can do it. He can be involved in a in a play where he's not the primary ball handler and provide benefit to your offense. Yeah. But you know, Steph's running a track meet every game. You know, no one else is doing that. So yeah, that's I just think, another level. Dame also doesn't play with a front court playmaking hub either. You know, no, no, no disrespect. <laughs> it's 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 tough not to shit on Nurk these days, but I swear I used Maybe to be so. a big Nurkic fan. I loved him as a rookie and and for several years after, and I held out. It's just I don't like watching him so much this year anymore. But Maybe some disrespect. Oh, there's a little there's disrespect is is creeping in. I feel like Yusuf and Nurkic I, had had potential as a passer or could play in that role, but I just feel like he turns the ball over just as often as he throws a nice pass. He he's more the idea of passing and he likes to pass, but he's he's so reckless. He's just a very he can be a very careless player. And I feel like that's besides injuries, that's the thing that's held him back in his career. It's kind of like not trimming the fat and trying to play mistake free. Well, before you say we have no front court playmaking option, just don't forget about Justice Winslow. I mean, he's hurt right now. He's been in and out of the lineup all year with little nagging injuries. That this is Justice Winslow's thing. You know, he gets hurt all the time. Yeah. But you know, when he's playing the four or even the small ball five for us, he's he's been solid and and provides some playmaking. He yeah. doesn't really do a whole lot else offensively, so you need him to do that. But it's a role he can fill. I said, speaking of complaining fans, I said something nice about Justice Winslow once on our on our Twitter account, and there's a lot of Blazers fans on our on our Twitter account through you, and they they let me hear it for saying even suggesting that just Justice Winslow being healthy would help a little bit. That was very offensive. Yeah, well, we it's a pretty sensitive fan base. I feel like the smaller and more insulated you are, the easier it is to become that way. I especially because the Blazers have kind of been good i think when you're small and you've had moments of success that's that creates the most sensitive fan base i think as a you know as a timberwolves fan we're not a sensitive fan base because we are just used to being the worst all the time you just can't 
if you want to you're not going to drag us more than we're going to drag ourselves so it's no one's really offended by the we're just we're, we're just you know we're used to being miserable so but you know i feel like the the raptors fan base who was the joke of the nba and all of a sudden they won a title like now that's a sensitive group yeah, they, they've got the the biggest, they've got the most extremes of joke level clown franchise and literally winning a title. And that's why I'm that's why I'm diagnosing the the Blazers fan base or where their sensitivity is coming from. The Raptors are the extreme example of that. And the Blazers, I mean, sorry, the Wolves have just never had the success to even know what it's like to care when someone makes fun of your team. So let me ask you as, you know, an outsider to the Portland Trailblazers fan base. How, how do you feel about the idea of kind of like this, this mid build around Damian Lillard, where we're, we have a couple nice young players. We have a couple decent veterans, but overall the talent level is really not at the level where we're even approaching a contending team. And, and maybe we could get there, but it would be, it would be risky. You know, we'd have to mortgage a lot of the future to make the kind of trade to put this team in, in to any level of contention. Do you think that would be worth doing? Even if the likelihood of, of winning a title isn't that high. Do you think it's it's worth going all in on Dame, kind of like with the way that he's played this year? You know, even though small guard in their early 30s, I'm aware, although I think it must be said with the way the modern game is played and in medicine today, small guards definitely age a lot better than they used to. Yeah, let's get on that Chris Paul regiment, whatever, whatever he did to prolong his career, you know, try that. There's there's there are lots of small guards that are holding on. Kyle Lowry has finally fallen apart, but and Chris Paul's falling apart, but still, let's see if he's got another playoff run left in him. And, you know, Steph's still being Steph. Yeah, to answer your question, it's tough because Dame Lillard is not Dirk. And I feel people make that comparison. Oh, they kind of retooled several times around Dirk and eventually won a title. Mm-hmm. So that becomes a model to aspire to. And sometimes you get lucky. The Blazers might bring in a, a player in training camp that no one cares about and that player has a breakthrough season and all of a sudden the team's one move away from getting back into contention. I think what makes it so difficult with Dame is that, uh, I mean, he's, he's really, really good. And he is, the fan base cares about him so much. He's not just, I think for example, you know, to contrast this, we'll put Dirk on one side and to contrast this, we've got someone like Bradley Beal, you know, signed a contract at the same time as as Dame has basically like is just sort of an, insisting on this status as a as this legacy player in Washington. Like nobody cares. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Washington fans, you know, have have positive feelings about Bradley Beal, but it's like we're not gonna talk talk about the glory days of the Brad Beal era in in Washington, but Dame has had all these heroic moments. And Dame has created this sort of brand through his personality of being this leader and has made the the Blazers cool and has made them resilient. The culture of of this era is kind of important. And I think so, if I'm running the Blazers, I think the math says, let's move on. But I do understand that just being sort of too difficult of a choice to do. It's it's not quite, and he's still really good and you're gonna be able to put semi-competitive teams out there around him without too much difficulty. I don't see how they level up without something really unpredictable happening, but I know that they're going to try their best. I, I don't see them trading Dame unless he he asked for it sort of thing. And this isn't a bottom of the barrel team. I think the Blazers still easily could push and make the play in as we'll discuss later. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I've changed my perspective on this a little bit. There was a time where I was very pessimistic around the idea of being able to build a contender around Dame with, you know, not a lot of assets to do that with. But, you know, we do have a couple of really good young players who have some trade value. If we do make the playoffs this year, that frees up our future picks for trade. And we're in such a volatile NBA now where stars are constantly, you know, entering the marketplace and and ready to... And teams are willing to trade them as long as you give them a tasty enough offer in return that I think like for one, the option of trading for a second star to pair with Dame is more real than it used to be in the past when stars just weren't traded hardly ever. So that's one option. But secondly, I think the volatility of the NBA has really created a landscape where you don't always have one or two awesome contending teams in each conference. There are years we saw a couple years ago when the you know, the Suns made the finals, not to denigrate them too much, but things kind of broke the right way for them. You know, you had, they got to face a couple of injured teams that were, you know, missing their their best player for part of that series. And they, you know, ultimately Avenue opened up for the Suns during that season where perhaps if every single player in the NBA was healthy and playing at their peak performance, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And we're just, we're seeing this in almost every single Almost every single postseason this year, injuries or chemistry, team chemistry or, you know, some other type of team volatility really shapes the outcome of these postseasons. So I, I agree. I but at the same time, I don't remember the one the last time anyone other than the top two seed won the championship. I don't know if that's happened in the modern era. Even back in 2011, Dallas was a two seed. It's still hard to crack that top. It seems kind of chaos, but then when the dust sort of settles, it's still like the Suns, the Suns burst through and made the finals and there's tons of teams making the finals. And if you're making the finals, you're, you're mighty close. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I don't think a, even as chaotic as it seems, the, the, the top two seeds keep actually winning the championship in the end. The Blazers at the moment are only six games out of the second seed in the Western Conference. And, <laughs> you know, with oh, a very flawed hilarious. team. And yeah. I, you know, honestly, if a theoretical trade was made, like for Kevin Durant this season, let's say, and some of these players that, you know, don't necessarily have a large impact on winning games right now, and some draft picks were exchanged for Kevin Durant, and theoretically Kevin Durant was healthy most of the season, you know, the Blazers would probably be that number two seed. So that's kind of the scenario that I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, it is. I still it, wouldn't bet on it happening, but it you got to, you know, live with the reality that it is a possibility. I think the other thing to look at is right now, the Sacramento Kings are closing in on the two seed. And what's to stop the Blazers being one move away from from being the Sacramento Kings? Can, can you imagine Kings, it? Yeah. Can you imagine if you before this season or, or last year, you could look into the future and and hear our podcast and hear me out of the words that the Portland Trailblazers are one move away from being the Sacramento Kings, you'd you'd think I was talking about something very different, but I am not. Yeah. I mean, there's that parody. I think any of these teams can, can sell themselves on that. Who who do you, who do you want? Who's the, who's the ideal player to add add to this roster? A switchable defensive center who can also, you know, act as a vertical spacing lob threat and, yeah, make smart decisions with the ball in his hands. So I'll offer, I'll offer you Rudy Gobert. We'll take five draft picks well, for him. <laughs> I was thinking Walker Kessler is my ideal piece. Don't, missing piece for this don't say that name on this podcast. Don't say it. 
I don't know. I mean, you know, there's there's probably a lot of options out there. The ideal player who might in, like single-handedly turn the Blazers into at least a second-tier championship contender is like Bam Adebayo, maybe. You know, someone like that. Is yeah. Bam going to be available? It doesn't seem like it right now, but who's to say a year from now? You know, that he yeah. hasn't looked that great this season. Jimmy Butler's aging and he's actually been relatively healthy this season, but typically he misses like 40% of us the season with injuries. Who's to say next year the Heat aren't like bottom three in the East and realize that Jimmy Butler is aging and they need to unload Bam Adebayo for, you know, more ammo to rebuild their future with. So Miami's just, like- just throwing a name like that out there. Miami's that is that party animal friend that just always wants to keep the night going. They just they don't want they don't want to go yeah. to bed. Like <laughs> Pat Riley will not give up on the idea of Miami being a contender, and he he, he finds ways. Just like we're gonna we're just gonna burn out one more season, and they always feel like this. They're about to completely crumble, and and one of these mm-hmm. days they will. You can't you can't keep this going forever. But they're well, it's kind of started this year. It started last it's, year. It, like, yeah, but it's it's been worse this year, so and the yeah. team continues to age. So we'll see. I mean, I'm not saying Bam will be available for a year from now, but you know, you gotta you gotta have hope that something like that will come up eventually yeah. if you're a Trailblazers fan wanting to keep Damian Lillard. I do think that Yusuf Nurkic is the piece that needs to be replaced. I mean, at that position, you know, I I feel like the wing rotation has been sneaky fine in Portland for the first time best wing rotation since since mo harkless left <laughs> since yeah since i mean Alfred it is like Gamino. cam cam reddish and nas little you know these are replacement level players are they going to be the difference between winning and losing a playoff series no but are they killing you also not really but i'm more thinking you know draw me grant i like i guess how, how is I, I don't think i've seen much of tybull yet and how is he how's he looking yeah. over and banging threes all over the place yeah, I mean, he has been so far. He's kind of a defensive menace as always, but it's it's trying to, you know, stop a torrential flood with a single sandbag or whatever. Yeah. Our problem defensively is is the center position. It's not it's not our ability to match up against wings. Yeah, but you could picture lineups built with like Thibault, Drummy Grant, and this um, this um, this imaginary center that we're that we're giving Portland, and how that could sort of change change the team i've been watching like you know the raptors yeah. since they got Jakob purdle and being like oh sometimes putting a, a competent person in the back line just changes everything a little bit in terms of what's mm-hmm. functional and what's not and that's sometimes just the difference between a below average defense and an above average defense and then as you know shade on sharp continues to grow up i really like Nasir little i think i think he's going to be a good rotation wing in the nba so yeah anyways here i mean he already is when as long as he's on the floor yeah it's cool with Dame. I just feel like that you can trace Dame all the way back to the end of the sort of like LaMarcus Aldridge era in, in like, he's just, you know, he's just, he's very, he's very iconic. And I feel he's iconic and he's still ridiculously good. He's so good that you can picture building a, a proper team around him. I think they just got to, this isn't the same thing as, as you know, the, the Lakers signing Kobe Bryant to $30 million a year at the end of his career when he's actively harming the team's chances of winning sort of thing. We're very, very far away from that. So yeah, I think, I think I'm with you or I'm, I've more come to be on the side of the Dame era shall continue. And I I don't see an attractive alternative for that. Anyone can blow it up. That's not actually like a fun thing to do, even though fans scream for it all the time. Yeah. And with the way the playoffs are now and with, you know, Honestly, how how necessary it is to have not just one but two stars in order to really compete for a title as as 
in addition to a very solid supporting cast, the likelihood of blowing it up, turning into championship contention in the near future is extremely low. <laughs> so it's not a prospect I would be excited about. Yeah. We still want to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, just briefly, the Milwaukee Bucks have won 14 in a row in the Eastern Conference, even though Giannis has been hurt with a mysterious wrist injury. I don't think the details of which have been disclosed, but he's wearing a brace on his, can't remember if his right hand or left hand, one of his wrists, and he's missed a couple of games, but the team is still clicking, even with Giannis hurt, even with uh, Chris Middleton coming off the bench, they're still playing awesome defense and winning games. So what do you think about the the Bucks here and their chances of coming out of the East this this year? I will say this this just in Giannis is 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 on the floor right now playing against the Bucks. So yeah, he's he's cool. back. He's played six minutes thus far, according to this ESPN box score. You know, one thing that's nice about the Bucks is when they is I mean. This is going to be kind of silly to say because right now they're the number one seed in the entire NBA. But once the Bucks shifted from being this regular season juggernaut that used Coach Bud's formula of how to win 60 games in the regular season or die trying, once they became yep. more of a flexible kind of tink- tinkering team in the regular season, the last three or four seasons they've been this team or maybe just two or three seasons, they've been a team that has stayed flexible tried out different lineups, weathered major injuries to players. It's Chris Middleton this year. Last year is Brooke Lopez, who they spent basically the entire season without. They try different things. They morph between being offensive-minded and defensive-minded. And I think that is just what good playoff teams do. And the Bucks used to be a bad playoff team, and Bud used to be a bad playoff coach. I still think Bud has, when push comes to Whoops. shove, <laughs> it, I mean, he, he's yeah. still someone who wants to stick with what he does. But yeah, in, at least in the regular season, he's grown a lot in that capacity of just, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's cool that Chris Middleton's still coming off the bench. I think that shows more of a, a Popovichian sort of thing of we're not trying to win 60 games. We're trying to win a title. The Bucks still might win 60 games this season. If mm-hmm. after this 14 game streak, they're, they put themselves back in a position to do that. But I think it the Bucks get sort of boring and grindy and gunky. Sometimes in the regular season, that was definitely happening this year with their offense where you're watching some Bucks games and Giannis is just sort of bashing into people and Drew Holiday is missing these chunky little 20-foot pull-ups. And you're just like, is this really the team that's going to be, you know, beating someone good in the Eastern Conference Finals? You don't look like it. But then it's, yeah, they just go through the doldrums now in the regular season and then sort of emerge and they, they shed their skin every every mm-hmm. 20 games and sort of, you know, become a new fresh team and... I think they have a good program there as well. They bring through a lot of players and they try them out. We've seen Javon Carter this year have important moments. Joe Ingles has played a role. Grayson Allen keeps sticking around. Pat Connaughton is a sort of this classic career role-playing Milwaukee Buck. I love those role players. They should retire Pat Connaughton's jersey someday. Like Former Blazer. There you go, yeah. I love players like that. And yeah, I, I don't know. Milwaukee's back to having people believe that they're a title contender. Not that people gave up, but, you know, I think it was starting to be like, what is this? This team is no fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've kind of separated themselves along with the Celtics from the rest of the East. And it is built on defense, which I think is is more sustainable because that's a it's a systematic approach. It's the entire team has this defense, innate defensive ability, regardless of who the Bucks plug in. I mean, yes, 
Brooke Lopez and Giannis are their two best defensive players, but you know, the rest of the team is also very good at it and all the role players are bought in. I mean, I'm still really worried about the Bucks' inconsistent three-point shooting, which has been a an issue that hasn't gone away all, all season. I mean, that's really been the thing that's, I mean, outside of the title run, even even partly with the title run, you know, the Bucks won the title that year, but it was it was more based on defense and really awesome performances from Giannis. They still couldn't really shoot that whole playoff yeah. run that they had a couple of years ago. But that's been the thing that sunk them every single year. It's, you know, Giannis drives into the paint and there's five guys and he passes it out. Someone's wide open and they miss that wide open three, you know, 70%, 67% of the time, which that's... Just the thing that, you know, kind of sunk them against the Celtics last year. And and we still haven't seen much proof this season that that's going to change. Yeah. Two things on that. I mean, one, one thing that the loss to the Celtics and this season's three point shooting have in common are Chris Middleton just being hurt. He's their most steady perimeter scorer. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think we were talking to the Bucks earlier in the season and you know, realizing this team sucks at shooting, but also their best shooters coming back. So now he's not actually, he's not even their best shooter. He's just sort of, again, their most steady perimeter scorer kind of thing. The other thing I want to say is like a lot of the, the Jokic haters are, are trying to pump up Giannis's MVP campaign and by Giannis's own standards, this is not a great season for him. And and no. it's not like you can see it in the numbers. He's, he's his least efficient season of his prime so far. His turnovers are way up and he's, uh, you know, at what point do these three pointers, at what point do we start pointing out he just he, takes terrible shots throws yeah, possessions away in a very yeah, Russell like five Westbrook times a game. way and yeah. Russell Westbrook is the worst high volume three-point shooter of all time and Giannis might be starting to stake his claim on you know one of the worst medium volume three-point shooters of all time because it's not like he's just taking one a game he is insisting yeah. for like four seasons now he's been you know shooting three or four threes a game and he's so bad and I get the idea of him mixing it up a little bit, but it's just like the volume's high. I'd rather see him either not taking them at all or, you know, he takes one or two a game. I It just, it's, it, it's kind of rough, but also I feel yeah. like he's been more of a battering ram again this year and let, he's gone away from those counters that made him more unsolvable in the playoffs the past two years. And his 18 footer isn't great. It's not super polished, but it's definitely, you know, it feels like it has a much higher chance of success than jacking up a, a three-pointer you know yeah when the defense is sagged 10 feet off of him uh, when, when it's ugly for Giannis, it is it's it's pretty ugly and you can and we can all remember going back to that raptors series or that heat series and remember what it looks like when when Giannis fails a little bit and but yeah i mean he's he's down on his the long twos are ugly this year the mid-range is ugly this year he's just sneakily down all over the place and i keep hearing him get push back in the MVP conversation and was like, we get it. You you don't want Nikola Jokic to win again. You you're I think it's mostly the team success thing. Although it I will say the denigrators for Nikola Jokic last year, it, it wasn't uncommon to hear something along the lines of the phrase for Jokic to have to win it to win again, he would have to get the number one seed in the West. He'd have to put up even more insane stats next year. You know, and those things have happened. So the criteria yeah. for Jokic winning a third MVP, even in the minds of his biggest detractors, has come to fruition. So, you know, maybe it's it's just time to face the music there. Yeah, they're just getting kind of retrospectively upset about him winning last year, basically, is all they're saying. I mean, I'm pretty sure I said it on this podcast earlier. What if Nikola Jokic just keeps 
statistically dominating the NBA and the Nuggets are a 55 win team. It's going to be a pretty strong MVP case and he hasn't won it yet. There's still, there's still time, but someone, uh, someone on the forum said recently, well, there's no way he wins next year, but what if he just statistically dominates the NBA again and no one else makes a really strong case? You're right. The, yeah. the media will spend the whole year trying to find a suitable alternative we like when people complain about the advanced stats things too it's like we make up these stats trying to measure how good players are performing in the nba and we may and and different people make up different equations of how to do it and Jokic just happens to be with like 20 different numbers it just they all point in the same direction and that's he's playing better than everyone is at least on offense yeah. I get those you know making the more magical defensive argument there but but yeah it's yeah tough. but I mean the defensive case isn't that strong for one defensive defense has never been a major factor in MVP we've had a lot of terrible defensive players win MVP which Shadow Jokic James is, Harden. is yeah Russell Which Jokic is not Steve a Nash. terrible defensive player. Like mm -hmm. he does have the best defensive rating on the Nuggets, even over players who are objectively good defenders. And that's not because he's the best defensive player in the Nuggets, but I, I do think it illustrates the case that he fits in really well with their defensive system that they're running, which has been very good over the last half of the year. And their defense is elite actually in fourth quarter. So when it matters, it is a team that does lock in and defend. And then also these kind of you know, borderline replacement level big men, possibly worse uh, coming off the bench. Jokic is a significantly better defensive player than they are, which means something. Yeah. And I mean, ever since they've gradually phased out Bones Highland, they've just been closer to a top five defense, which is, it's, yeah, they're, I think they're 11th or, you know, they're somewhere, you know, around the top 10 right now overall in the season. But, yeah. you know, as soon as they reduce Bones Highland role, they jump from being like a 24th ranked defense to like a average one. And then since they've gotten rid of them altogether, it's, oh, this is somehow the Nuggets are one of the better defensive teams in the NBA all of a sudden. And that wasn't even supposed to be in the cards for them. So, yeah, they're an interesting team to watch. I think a lot of people are kind of waiting for them to fail in, in the playoffs. But I don't know. We'll see. Nikola Jokic is the most dangerous decision maker i've maybe ever watched play basketball like really just it's magic and magic and steve nash are the only players i've seen with that sort of level of passing and 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 pressure scoring pressure on the ball where they're just like, you just trust mm -hmm. well they've got the ball in their hands you're gonna do something really good with this yeah and you're not and you're not going to like also you're also gonna let the game come to you you're gonna make sure the ball is where it needs to be to give your team the best opportunity to score on every single possession. And that's something that not even LeBron James, I've, you know, at peak LeBron James, he, he you know, I've, we've seen LeBron James perform like a demigod, but he's still someone who's kind of prone to, I'm just going to take a God awful shot right now. Cause I'm not really sure what else to do. I mean, not that I mean, he's got, LeBron James has all sorts of other advantages on the players that we're talking about right now, but as pure just decision-making, I watched Jokic play. I'm just like, you just never make a bad call. You're just like, what, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, people miss shots and turnovers happen and defense is good, but it's really the decision-making that makes him a very frightening proposition. I think in the postseason. I will disagree a little bit there and just say for, you know, early Cleveland LeBron James, I'm not sure there was a bad shot. I'm not sure I've ever <laughs> seen a, a player more able to turn an absolutely terrible look for anyone else until at least just a not great look, you know, mm -hmm. turning a shot that was like a, you know, 15% chance to go in for any other NBA player until a 28% chance. Yeah. But yeah, LeBron more so lately has, well, 
not so much this year, but you know, last year and his first year with the Lakers where it was, it was kind of a joke. There were a lot of ill-advised shots taken. It's, I mean, it's really bad this year. For some reason, I, I I hate watch the Lakers a lot. And I mean, LeBron's having a great season and there's still some things he does incredibly well, but he shoots all the time and he's so bad at it. He's having a really bad shooting year. And that that, yeah. jank, that janky leaning fadeaway just looks so bad when it doesn't go in. I just argue that LeBron, obviously LeBron's an elite decision maker, but even young LeBron was often it was the talent it was the athleticism it was like turning bad plays into good plays because he's just so good i didn't think early career lebron was always making the best decision he was still a player you could trick when he was young you could you could make him shy you could you could goad him into taking bad shots like the veteran teams did i mean they were just also better than lebron's teams we would see him kind of struggle i actually think old man lebron late cleveland and even early lakers as just a pure decision maker was the most frightening i'd seen him even though he wasn't the same level of athlete but during that lakers title run just what he was doing as a passer and the way he was seeing the floor and i think the fact that he knew he couldn't always just sort of like press the turbo button he had an unlimited turbo button basically as a young player but old man lebron not quite this old but 2020 lebron was really scary with how he'd kind of find anthony davis and pick and rolls and find shooters and just seemed so calm anyways yeah well, speaking of the Lakers, let's yeah. let's talk about the Western Conference play in a little bit. So let's do the let play this, in. Let me set the stage a little bit here. You have the number four seed in the West, which is currently the Phoenix Suns, and the number thirteen seed in the West, which is currently the Oklahoma City Thunder, all separated by a total of about five games. So the play in is still far from being decided. I think it'd be unlikely for the Suns to drop that far. But, you know, the Clippers, who haven't looked great as of late, the Mavericks, who have had a difficult time integrating Kyrie and have had some very strange lineup decisions made by their coach in the last couple of games, haven't looked great. The Warriors, still have the worst injury luck of any team this year. And then you have, you know, the whole Jazz Timberwolves. Blazers, Lakers, weirdness. Who's the best out of that group? Who do you <laughs> see as a couple teams that you know are rising and and more likely to make the plan in your estimation? Who do you think is going to drop out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough. It's it's funny because exactly what you're pointing out. If you if you read any random sort of takes on the playoff pitchers, people will separate teams and things like very likely to make the playoffs. I'm just like none of these teams are likely to make the playoffs at this point. Luck <laughs> is going to be a huge factor. We can look at we can look at strength of schedule and that's going to be a really big deal. But also just sort of injury luck is going to catapult a couple of teams into into situations. And the funniest thing about the injury luck, Lakers Nation is saying like, I can't believe like we're finally in a position to make a run and we get an injury to our best player. I'm looking at this playoff race and every single team around you is also playing without their best player. The Pelicans don't yeah. have Zion Williamson. The Warriors don't have Curry. The Wolves don't have Cat. Two other teams in this race were supposed to be tanking this year. I'm talking about OKC and, and the Jazz. And we're supposed to feel bad for the Lakers getting a, an injury to their 38-year-old star. It's a bit silly when you look at the competition like the lakers should still be able to make a run anthony davis jared yeah. vanderbilt's been playing out of his mind d'angelo russell's good they got scoring they got shooting they've got defense when you look at the competition everyone i just listed the lakers should still expect their team to to rise up and and make the play in it at the very least now the lakers and the oklahoma city thunder who's my the, the lakers the thunder and the uh, Pelicans have 
the easiest schedules going forward as well. So I would I would look at them as the most likely to surge just based off of that. I I don't feel great about the Pelicans until Zion comes back. And then with the Lakers, you know, Anthony Davis has had a couple of real stinker performances lately. So even though they have the talent to still make the playoffs even without LeBron, I think part of that is contingent. Well, I mean, if they're going to do anything in the playoffs, AD needs to play like PKD, which you know he does sometimes. But it's I don't think have any of these stars are coming back. Basis. I, I don't think any of these stars are coming back. There's so like projecting there... no LeBron, no Curry until the end of the year. I haven't checked in on Curry's injury recently, but I just feel like LeBron with the like I heard a pop. Like you, you well, heard depends a... on what popped. <laughs> yeah, but also like he's just he's 38. Like yeah, the like we keep. I keep listening to people being like, oh, LeBron's still this good now. What's to stop him from, you know, being 75% of this in another four years and play when he's 42? Well, injuries. Exactly. It's injuries just like he hasn't, he's like barely, like, expect LeBron to play 50 games per season of, of high-level basketball. And that's it. That should just be the normal expectation. So LeBron going down right now, I think he's played 46 games. That makes sense. That lines up with, with what I'd expect. Zion, they're not going to rush back. Cat, like they just, you know, he's like two weeks away from being two weeks away, kind of in perpetuity with like calf injuries are are, are scary, especially with big men. Yeah, I, have, I haven't checked on, on Curry recently, but that that's another older player. So... Like, he was supposed I, to be reevaluated with like 18 games left in the season or something. And that doesn't mean he's returning to the floor. That just means they're checking in on the progress of his recovery, right? So yeah. And he's got he's got the last thing I read on Curry was like multiple injuries to his left leg. Like doesn't sound great, but I mean again, he's he's Curry's 34 years old. I, I like I think it's at least reasonable that not a single one of these players comes back. And the and the teams that that we're looking at right now. So, you know, Minnesota built around Anthony Edwards and um, and the Golden State Warriors motley crew of veterans and the Pelicans who made the playoffs last year, made the play-in and the playoffs mm-hmm. last year without Zion. Like all these teams should be like, th- this is the team we got. And this is like how we compete down the stretch. And guess what? All you have to do is beat Utah and OKC those are, and, and Portland. Those are the healthy teams that are left. Like that's well, yeah. Speaking of teams that do have their best player, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can. SGA has been missing games for reasons that remain unclear, but you know, Portland and Lauren Markkinen's still out there, so been one of the healthiest players in the NBA this year. Yeah, legit all star level players. You know, Dame and SGA like legit will make some MVP ballots this year. Larry Markkinen's been amazing. I like Utah, like sold off a lot of their depth, so I do kind of expect them to fade, but well. They did, but they've been playing 500 ball, you yeah. know, ever since. That's the thing. Utah could definitely just hold steady and and get into it. These other teams, I think, have a have a higher amount of of variability. And then Phoenix has a tough schedule. Minnesota has a Minnesota has an awful schedule. Like we're not making the play, and it's like like book it right now. I said it. Like Minnesota is falling out of the play in. So yeah, Utah enjoy our lottery pick this year. Unless something crazy happens, yeah. like unless there's a like this has been a very up and down team, so they could, you know, flip back to having a nice stretch. But I'm not, I'm not counting on it. I'm, I'm already licking my wounds from this awful season of Timberwolves basketball. Let's go down the list really quick. 
you know, you said the Suns have a tough schedule. Would you still bet on them making the playoffs in some capacity, whether it's a guaranteed spot or through the plan? Clippers? I mean, I think the Clippers have this high variability too, and they brought in Russell Westbrook. And this is also just like a team that plays like a Kawhi is still the the like culture of that team, which means just like this heartless robot that who knows? I don't know. Like, I, but yes, I think the Clippers will make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I get someone is going to have to explain to me why. Terrence Mann, who's been their third slash fourth best player all all year, is just not playing anymore. Russell Westbrook Morris is is still out there in crunch time. Yeah, what's with the Marcus Morris? Looking thing? completely lost every single time he hits a screen or anything. I don't know. I mean, Ty Lue has you know just a, an immense amount of trust in Marcus Morris for um, you know Marcus Morris was a solid role player the past couple of years, and in this season it's been a little shaky at times, but maybe it's, maybe it's hard to get over that, you know, inherent bias you have for a, a guy that you've been able to rely on in the past. I need to hear from some sort of Marcus Morris believer out there. Like I just only hear from people who you want him out of there. He's it's, be, it's become so popular to say that Marcus Morris needs to, you know, at least go to the bench or stop playing almost 30 minutes a night, or at least well, he's playing. the most obvious defensive weak point on the Clippers. Right. And the Clippers are still a good defense without with him, playing this much you know but they could be an elite one so and there are definitely other factors like he does offer size at least he does offer like a level of physicality he just like gets lost in rotations in a way that other clippers players don't so it stands out more he's a really compared to their other options at that position he's a very aggressive shooter that's kind of one of the only things i can think you know like robert covington and nick batum still kind of you know it's in their soul they don't really love to shoot it Batum has like made himself you know shoot when he's open but Marcus Morris is like if you're passing the ball around and Marcus Morris is even kind of open he's gonna fire which, yeah it's going up <laughs> yeah which is yeah, can it's like you know it's a it's a bit of a double-edged sword he still shoots the ball just fine you know from three but it just I don't see the best version of the Clippers involving Marcus Morris be on the floor but yeah, yeah I, I mean I, he's he's a he's a negative effective effective field goal compared to league average which is um one stat that I've, I've really enjoyed lately just like trying to understand someone's efficiency in a league where the efficiency is constantly getting better like how do you do that like well you Relative compare their efficiency shooting. to the yeah to the league average and yeah. and marcus morris is a negative and he shoots a lot so and he, he seems to be a negative defensively as well so yeah i mean i don't i don't quite understand it but i guess we'll we'll see how things shake out in the playoffs, you know, cause that's where like your weak, weak points are going to get exposed the most and where adjustments are the most important. Whereas, you know, all these teams are still experimenting to an extent in the regular season. I also want to say a little weird. Thing. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like such a tight playoff race, but yeah. Coaches are still running some strange lineups. Yeah. I want to also point out that Kawhi Leonard is played three overtime sessions in the past uh, like this week <laughs> i'm just like you know pointing out that the the poster boy for load management is is averaging yeah. over 40 points sorry 40 minutes per game for the last two games and you know I, I don't i don't think that the clippers love to see that but it's gotta be it, it probably speaks well to his health that the team is even willing to let him do that so yeah i mean I, i'm totally down to get to watch if, if we get peak Kawhi in the playoffs again i'm i'm you know excited to watch that because that is it is fun <laughs> but my heart is mostly yeah. moved on yeah well i mean Kawhi is kind of moving into a different phase a little bit like he's been much more of a jump shooter this season he's always been 
you know, great in the mid range, but it's, it's moved from his bread and butter to like kind of his whole thing this season. Though as, as the season has gone on, he has ramped up the drives. He has like, it's been trending. He's ramped up the free throws. Like his, his game has been trending back more towards the Kawhi that we know. I don't watch a crazy ton of Clippers games. They're probably in my bottom hand, at least least watch teams this year. But um, yeah, I'm trying to, some someone at the ringer posted a, a Kawhi article maybe two weeks ago, just about sort of like the the gradient from the beginning of the season where he like looked kind of mm-hmm. maybe like he was ready to retire to now. Yeah. And pointing out that. Improvement. Yeah. And just the, the metrics are the, the everything statistically is like, well, Kawhi's basically back to being Kawhi. So that's, that's, yeah, um, he's, he's probably like 90% of the guy that we saw two years ago in the Mavericks just have like, one of the all-time greatest a single series playoff performances of all time. Yeah, that and, was wild. You know, you can still tell he's not quite, you know, athletically the same as he was at that point. He's a little bit older. And he was kind of slow that, back then too. I feel like he was even slow when the Raptors won the title. Like, tw- yeah, no- but he was like, he was like so strong and decisive. Yeah. Like he he never had any issue getting his shot off. Like no matter who was defending him. Yeah, it's just crazy to watch young Kawhi and see how twitchy he was. Like how mm-hmm. just how just how quick he moved his feet and hands. Like Kawhi is very like robotic and and solid and gets his hands on guys a lot more. Like he's been playing the old man game basically since that since he's come back from that initial Zatza injury. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I expect the Clippers to make the playoffs. I think Dallas is yep. maybe more the Me interesting too. one to watch because they can't play a lick of defense since they traded away all their defense to yeah. bring in more offense, which is kind of actually, you know, I, I still think the move in the long term is is def- defensible, but it's like the, how how good do people think this team is going to be this year? Like they just again, they just completely cut their defensive legs off of now. Maxi Kleber is coming back. And that if if he can come back and play serious rotation minutes, that is going to plug up some holes for them. He's in a he's a tremendous defensive player. I, I don't think that moves the needle for them in sort of like the championship pitcher, but maybe stops the bleeding in in terms of getting into the into the playoffs. But I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll see. They've got they also have the easiest remaining schedule in the Western Conference. I think like they're yeah they lot, should a lot of they should games. sneak in. They only have three back-to-backs remaining the whole season where lots of other teams have like six or, or five or four. And they only play nine more games against teams that are currently over 500. Well, I mean, I think another player that's important not to sleep on is a Josh Green, you know, who's developing into a really good perimeter defender. And talk about guys who are just twitchy athletes. Like yeah, Josh Green plays like he's just a ball of like nervous energy all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like kind of fun to watch him. He just, you know, looks like he's just filled with, you know, potential every time he has the ball, you're not sure where he, when he's going to explode. But he was yeah, like I, that I really even like... before he was good too. Like even when he was kind of confusing player that passed up like layups to like dish it to the corner or whatever in his first couple seasons, he was still like hectic and interesting at, at the very least. He had, he, I mean, he had a couple big games right after the Kyrie trade, like that, you know, got Mavericks fans excited he's come back to earth since then and has gone back to the bench but yeah i mean still definitely a player to keep an eye on but i mean i think if dallas makes the playoffs it could just be because they had an easy schedule but new orleans also has an easy schedule so yeah they could if they can just stop the bleeding for one second i think they're in a good position too i think they have enough offensive juice to you know 
being above 500 team the rest of the way. And I don't think it'll take more than that to make the playoffs. Right. So who do you want to make be the in, playoffs in the West besides Portland, Portland? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Homer pick is the main one. I, I really want to see the Suns in the playoffs. Don't really have many worries of them not making it. And I, I will say the Warriors, I've been kind of down on the Warriors all year just because like, I understand where this is coming from. But there's there's so much like institutional trust in the Warriors that almost everyone talks that talks about basketball has like you will still see people to this day, even though them making the playoffs is a very uncertain thing at the moment. Just be like, oh, yeah, if the Warriors make it into the playoffs in any shape or form, like they're coming out of the Western Conference, they should be the favorites. And and I don't agree with that. So I've had a a difficult time thinking about the Warriors this season. But I mean, I I still do want to see them in the playoffs. You know, I've been a lifelong Clay Thompson fan since we have the same alma mater. And, you know, I I still love watching Curry, even though I've definitely rooted against the Warriors at times. They swept my Blazers in our only recent Western Conference Finals appearance. So I'm not always a fan of the team, but I, I do love watching them. And I do I do love that they kind of had that opportunity to flip the switch last year getting Draymond back and healthy, you know, they had like a defensive drop off the second half of the season when Draymond wasn't playing right because of, I don't remember what the injury was, but he missed, you know, like a good chunk of the season, but like he came back and rounded into form right as the playoffs were starting and they just turned into a defensive juggernaut once again. So yeah, I love to see teams that are kind of, kind of questionable offensively, but still win in the playoffs makes for more fun matchups. It happens. Things tend to tilt back a little bit more defensive, at least in the playoffs. I'm not high on the Warriors, but I was low on them last year. So and they and they won the title. So yeah, I, like like for and for whatever reason, that still didn't like inspire the faith in me. I still when they started the season slow, I was like I just went straight back to like yeah, they're done. They're they're not they're not good anymore. I said that all last year, and they won the title. Yeah, I I I don't expect the Warriors to finish strong, but hey, what do I know? I've already taken a pretty big L on this subject, so I really want OKC to make the playoffs. They're actually they're last of this whole group right now, and they have a really tough yeah. schedule. No one's expecting, you know. Again, this is the team that was supposed to tank, like they're supposed to shut down shy three months ago, and but they're just like they're so fun to watch, like the drive and kick offense, the competent defense. It's like, and they're just sneakily. I just think they're actually better than all these teams. I think they just okay. play better basketball. I think they're a more functional offensive and defensive team. And I think, you know, there's just been a combination of sort of like bad luck and they've lost some games. They probably should have won that has them in this position. Like, I just think they're better than the Lakers. I think they're better than the Blazers. I think they're better than the current version of the Pelicans. They're way better than the Wolves. I just think they should be the seven or eight seed right now. They're not. And it's unlikely for them to make a surge with a schedule that they have ahead of them. But that's that's what I'm still rooting for. I also just like everyone talked about the Lakers all year. And I just kind of wanted to keep pointing out like, you know, who's way better than the Lakers, like next sort of next to them in the standings. Like we, we got one, we got two teams around the same spot in the standings, but one's like a garbage defense and like barely competent offense. And the other one's almost top 10 on both ends. Like which, which do well, they, are, are, they are top 10. They are top 10 defensively, right? And they, and they, you know, they, they, they were 11th offensively before shy went down. They've, they've dropped a rank since then, but yeah, I don't know. Just like that's I'm 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 buying stock early. Maybe I have to wait till next year for it to for it to pay off. But I think I think they would be yeah. fun. I think they'd be like a, I really like the the style of basketball they play. And I think a lot of these other teams yeah. are kind of sad and they all feel like they're just trying to see which one bleeds the least, like to finish the season. Everyone they're all like kind of just dragging themselves 
through the shit to get to like to get to the finish line and hoping they can beat the other people and i just feel like okc is just still playing solid basketball and it's a shame when it's not always reflected in in the standings but so i think i'm gonna disagree with you here and it's not because i wouldn't like to see the thunder play i mean i i love watching jalen williams play basketball Mm -hmm. to be frank but i think that if the thunder made the playoffs it would be an ugly quick exit for them and that's well, just because like this is a team that's so reliant on one star and then like yes they they have other guys who are i think going to be very good ball handlers and decision makers and playmakers in the future but they definitely aren't there yet and you know the track record of teams that have one awesome player and then a whole bunch of guys who you know I'm not talking about their future, but just like currently where they're at right now in their careers are like fourth or fifth starters at best. It's it's not great in the playoffs. Like I think if a defense really keys in on SGA, what do they have left other than like hoping their role players make threes, you know, which they got Jalen Williams and Josh Giddy. I mean, yeah, but like these are very maybe more so Josh Giddy at the moment, but like these are players who have like clear flaws in their game that can be exploited by a smart defensive coach. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any, I think I'm not saying, okay, he's going to win the title. I just think that, you know, from Dallas on downwards, none of these teams are good. Like, I think they're all, yeah, you know, maybe like ripe for a, and, but also like when you, when you go up a little bit, like we're going to wait to see what Phoenix becomes once Durant gets in the lineup. Denver's mm-hmm. obviously really good. But yeah. who, who else is, who else is good? Like, like Memphis has been bad for a while now. Like their offense has completely fallen apart. Sacramento, I would love to see like everyone expects Sacramento is going to lose their first round series against like whichever lower no. team gets it. I think I think people are. I think like it's just like, oh, Sacramento is cute. Their offense is so good. But like if, you know, they drew the Lakers, yeah. the Warriors or the even the Mavs in the first round, people would be picking that other team. Which team would they they'd be favored against like Utah or Minnesota or, or Portland? But I think like half the other teams that, you know, might fall into that a six or seven seed. I think people would would pick yeah. the opponent. I think I'd pick, you know, if if the nightmare scenario happens and it's a three six matchup with the Clippers, I think I'd pick the Clippers in that series. And I would also probably pick the Warriors in the theoretical universe that everyone is healthy, which we haven't seen from the Warriors hardly at all this season. And I it'd be hard I to pick against partic- the Warriors in that scenario. I don't. I don't think it's particularly likely. Like that's the reason why I've been yeah. kind of out on the Warriors this year. It's just they're never healthy. There's always something wrong with. Them with yeah. their you know someone's out and same game, with the lakers so. same with the lakers yeah. and the lakers haven't been good yeah i don't think i'd pick the lakers over over any of the top three or four seeds if they were to make the playoffs but the media and the fans will if it's lakers sacramento and like a two oh, yeah, matchup, people are going to be like people are going to think it's the lakers series to lose and i'm just like sacramento's offense is one of the best offenses we've ever seen is it sustainable in the playoffs I mean, we're going to find out. I think I think Sabonis in terms of just his like strength and poise, I think that bodes well for the playoffs. I think the versatility of their bodes well. It's going to be hard to turn off that like whole team system they've got going with all the shooting and speed and inside outside game that they have and the armada of shooters. Like I think it's going to be yeah. hard to limit their offense, but obviously there's lots to attack defensively. So Oh yeah, they're going to give it back on the other end. But you know, I wouldn't be too worried about their offense in the playoffs. I think a lot is made about like the the playoff defensive atmosphere and like how different that is in the regular season and like it definitely is late in the fourth quarter of a close game but you know like by and large the majority of most playoff games are not substantially different than regular season games in terms of like the pace at which they're played no but teams are a lot more disciplined in their transition defense there's a lot more just sort of like there's less periods of time during a game where teams lose focus like i I think just the defensive focus turning on takes away 
some of the lower hanging fruit uh, that yeah. offenses are able to get in the regular season. So the question sometimes for playoff scalability comes down to how dependent is this team on the lower hanging fruit? So let's just say yeah. Sacramento loses a lot of their transition attack and they're a very aggressive tran- transition team, whether it's like, you know, it's like whether it's Sabonis grabbing a rebound and and running length of the floor, whether it's Deer and Fox spearheading the transition attack and just getting into like scramble mode and generating open threes. It, like if, if that's something that can be, kind of like really like mitigated in the playoffs i think that would be what where their vulnerability would lie but i mean their half court Mm -hmm. offense is great too and i don't see anything about that being like you know like damaged by playoff defenses yeah i will say like playoff defenses are definitely on average better than regular season defenses because you're going up against better teams you know you're not you don't have games against the spurs or the rockets right you're you're only playing against teams that are at least solid on defense because otherwise they wouldn't be in the playoffs but i think like last last year's series with the grizzlies and the warriors and the nuggets against the warriors to some extent kind of you know like the warriors were very good but they weren't impenetrable you know they still gave up offensive rebounds they still gave up open threes they still gave up like a lot of the hustle transition stuff that the grizzlies attacked them with like this team that was projected by so many people to fall apart in the playoffs because they were so reliant and offensive rebounding right and like hustle and grit and grind you know like it held up in the playoffs they gave the warriors the eventual champs their most difficult series and there's a world in which they win it if Ja doesn't get hurt, right? So I think I think not all of it, but a lot of it does translate to the play to the postseason. However, on that note, like Sacramento is one of like the only if, if Sacramento is a playoff lock, they're the only playoff lock that does not have a good defense. Their defense is standout weak for yeah. you know Dallas is the other one. If they're if they're gonna make it in, that's a that's a mm-hmm. really weak defense. But those are the only two, you know, Atlanta, if they can sneak into the playoffs is is another one yeah oh we're going eastern conference okay (laughs) i mean you know there's 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 juicy stuff over there as well yeah well i mean let's do the eastern conference really quick we won't spend too long on this because i think the play-in race in the eastern conference is a lot less exciting than the play-in race on the western conference unless you're unless you're a believer on that magic going on some crazy streak (laughs) it's really between like the Bulls and the Wizards with who's going to make that last spot. Yeah. But you know, these teams in terms of actually making it into the playoffs, you know, getting it like coming out of that play in bracket. I think there's a lot more variability there, but yeah, I mean like Washington has been solid for a while. The bull, I mean, the Pacers just got Tyrese Halliburton back. Everyone's written off the Pacers because they've been bad for a while, but they were bad mostly yeah. because Tyrese Halliburton was, was injured. So it's not out of the question that they have a little surge. And then, yeah, the Magic have just been getting better all season. You know, the, the one thing I want to say about the East, like comparing it to the West, all the teams in the West have maybe a more exciting higher end. Like it's more exciting to imagine what the Pelicans or the, or the Lakers could be mm-hmm. versus the sort of like more established mediocrity of like the Raptors or the or the or the Hawks. But, you know, to look at the East now and see, you know, Toronto and Atlanta and and Washington and all these teams fighting to get in the playoffs, it, it the East really has come a long way. Like I was I was looking back at some old Eastern Conference just playoff standings, like who grabbed the seven, the eight seed, and you know you're just looking at like 
a 38 win Brooke Lopez led Nets team and Al Jefferson, Bobcats team, Monta Ellis, Urson, Ilyasova, Bucks team, like Andre Drummond oh, that, leading the Pistons into the playoffs. That, like speaking of the Pistons, that like Blake Griffin's last great season, you know, yeah. where he, they snuck yeah. in and Blake was like really good, but the Pistons didn't really have anyone else. That was they're playing Cleveland, I think. That was an interesting that. playoff team. Yeah. Was Tobias Harris on that team or was he on the, cause the Pistons made two random first round appearances. Yeah. The... I think it was like Marcus Morris, Blake Griffin. Oh yeah. Tobias definitely Harris. Marcus Morris. I don't remember who else was on that team. Yeah. I have a vague memory of sitting in Wayne Gretzky's sports bar in downtown Toronto, watching a Pistons Cleveland playoff game. <laughs> it was kind of sad, but yeah, just like, I think all these teams are still kind of good. You know, even like people, people, mm-hmm take a crap on Washington, but like Bradley Beal, Chris Epps, Brzingis, Kyle Kuzma, they've got some interesting defensive and offensive role players. Like they're not, they're not bad. They're not a bad team, but they're a lot, like, I think they're better than some of the Washington teams that used to make the playoffs in terms of just like all oh, yeah. around solidness. And Atlanta's a monster offense. that's still just trying to figure it out. We'll see if Quinn Snyder can work a little bit of magic. And it's like coming to who, who comes in this late to coach a team. You don't see that that often, like taking over a team right before they go in their final little playoff push. Well, I mean, the right, was on the wall for so long you kind of got to wonder what's up with the decision making in the organization when it's like so clear a coaching change was needed earlier in the year or yeah it was needed i feel like 20 games into the season it was already becoming a thing yeah brooklyn's also like you know they could brooklyn could fall they're in the 60 right now i think new york and above is a playoff lock right now i think new york's been so good the knicks have been so good lately yeah, I love like they're Don't they're even fun. They're fun to watch play for the first time. The first time since that random year where the Carmelo Anthony team got a whole bunch of veterans on them, and they had like Rasheed Wallace mm-hmm. and Jason Kidd and Tyson Chandler was there. Like that was a pretty fun Knicks team. But this Pablo is the most fun- Prigioni. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The sneak. Yeah, yeah I mean Jalen Brunson is great. I think they've got. I think like Josh Hart as a depth piece has been super yeah. functional there and they don't have that it makes like they can actually take rj barrett off the floor if things are you know not going well for him i love quentin grimes julius mm. randall as like an ensemble piece is, is is a player i actually sort of like i don't like all yeah, of he's the kind decisions of, he makes but but he's kind of recovered this year like he, he's been better like the, the effort play to play has been a lot better there's less like hanging the head and sulking after he takes a 18 foot turnaround jumper and bricks it so yeah uh, I, I'm back in on Julius Randle. I think I think I think a decent offense with options can live with some of his poor shot selection. Where when the offense was his poor shot selection, that was super miserable to watch. But and then some of the, like some of their other play, like Emmanuel quickly has been like really good this year. Like and, and, yeah. and not in a way that I expected. I, I kind of thought of him as sort of like kind of like what Bones Highland was this year, but he's been good on defense and he's been like you know just crafty and and finding ways to impact the game. So you know on the margins rather than just sort of like as an on ball scorer. So I like seeing that. I always like Isaiah Hartenstein. He's not having a good season, but like it's still a fun backup center. And yeah, it's just I don't know, like deep, pretty solid team that is competent on both ends and actually plays reasonably good offense. It is kind of a shame that the top four in the East are so good because it would be fun yeah. to see New York advance in the playoffs, you know, like win a single playoff round. I, I think they're good enough to make a playoff round interesting. I, I have a hard time seeing them beat anyone in the first round. You don't. Unless unless the Cleveland Cavaliers fourth quarter 
you know, offensive woes just become a real issue, but you know, everyone in the top four is just so good and so talented. And there's the, I'm sorry, New York fans, but a Tibbs is getting out coached by anyone in the, anyone. (laughs) Yeah. Like he, he's, he like, you know what we we were talking about, even doc rivers, (laughs) doc rivers, 100% is out coaching Tibbs in the play. Ah, that, that, that would be fun. Let's that matchup can happen. Right. We just need, like i mean philly's got a tough schedule they could fall to four. Oh, let's get let's get doc rivers versus tibbs that is fun i like sign me up for that like yeah. we can just con- like contrast their their two preferred like helpless poses when the game's getting out of hand you know to, like the, the, you know they both love to spread the arms and and tib likes to sort of like yell and both of them like to get the eyebrows like going crazy the whole time like that would yeah they deserve each other in, in a first round playoff and then like one of them actually gets to win which which would be you know, cool for them I, I love when when things aren't going well for the knicks not because i'm against the knicks or anything but it's just really fun to watch tibbs facial expressions alternate between like confused and incredulous yeah I think that Doc Rivers is a better playoff coach than Tom Thibodeau. I think Doc Rivers gets out coached by by strong playoff adjusting coaches by like you know the coaches that are more proactive than him, but Tibbs is the least proactive playoff coach that exists. So I think like he makes Doc look like a like an innovator. Yeah. So I think I think you know if I made a a power ranking of coaches just for the playoffs. I mean, there's obviously there's coaches I haven't seen in the playoffs yet, so I can't make a full ranking, but out of coaches that I have seen in multiple playoff series, Tibbs is the worst. I've seen it in Minnesota, seen it in Chicago, even when Chicago, like his teams, when they're like outrageously good win playoff series beyond that though, it's, it's, it's an absolute grind. How do you feel about Quinn Snyder as a playoff adjuster? That's the other guy that may be in the playoffs that I've, have some serious questions about. I mean, he did invent that, like the way to guard James to guard James Harden, um, mm-hmm. in a way, in a way the league copy, like he invented that in the playoffs. It's I, I think they were such a they start like early in Quinn's career in the playoffs. They just played against teams they had no shot against. You know, you're talking about like yeah. The, the d- dynastic warriors of the 2018 rockets. And then later into the team had become so broken and flawed that I didn't see where the answer was just in terms of like what was really going on there defensively. You did um, have that middle period where they, you know, lost in the three, one comeback to the nuggets in the 2020 playoffs where oh, was in the, in the bubble. Yeah. And Quinn did not have a lot of answers offensively. Once the, once the nuggets figured out how to, like defend that Jokic put Jokic in a pick and roll that uh, the Jazz were really exploiting to such great effect. Once the Nuggets figured out how to adjust against that, the Jazz kind of just were like, you know, Donovan Mitchell take seventeen pull up mid range jumpers a game and hope that's yeah. good enough. Yeah, I mean Jamal Murray going absolutely nuclear nuclear in that series too was a, that was a, that was a that was a funny that was a strange series. And then next year yeah. they lost to the Mavericks without Luka Doncic in the first round. But then again, like, but it was like the, the roster construction was so poor, you know, like it's, it's hard to blame the coach for all of that. I feel like they showed up kind of, you know, like, you know, brought a knife to the gunfight sort of thing. Like it's still one of those funny things that that Utah team went into the off season before that. And still were like, yeah, we don't need any switchy wings. We're actually fine. Like, you know, like they didn't even, it didn't even seem like they sniffed around. Like they went into that season just kind of like, well, we already know how to, 
beat you. Like the whole league knows how to beat you and you didn't change anything. And you're just like, let us do it one more time. It's like, all right, here's Jalen Brunson. <laughs> like, yeah, like here, here's a Luka Doncic's Mavs. And like, anyways, just sort of. So, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't rank Quinn really high or low. I think there's been some, some good and, and bad moments and not all the bad mm. Utah jazz moments are things I chalk up to coaching. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, maybe like there's a, there's a decent chance we, you know, get to see Quinn Snyder coach against like the Celtics or the Bucks soon. I don't like that Atlanta team very much, but, um, but, you know, there's still a good chance they might make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I think the Hawks are in, I think the Raptors are in, they're kind of on the rise and we're talking about playing, you know, here, I'm not yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. saying they're six seed, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Nets fall out of the playoffs. I mean, the the little I've seen of the Nets post trade, Mikhail had that one, you know, 45 point night. Right. But other than that, it just, I think the Nets really reveal how important or how essential having like a high level playmaker is to like run a functional offense in the NBA. I um, think and that's true. Dinwiddie is not that. But but I also think like this kind of roster is not the thing you put together on the fly. Like I, I think yeah. I think if you took this exact roster and gave it a training camp and worked out a really specific system that was going to try to generate the sort of offense that they needed to be successful. Again, kind of like the Toronto Raptors are this year like kind of similar mm-hmm. style of team where they don't have that lead playmaker really I just I, I just don't think you just slap that group of guys together and expect the offense to make any kind of sense like beyond yeah but but you know there's also like a, a chance they coalesce and discover some sort of identity but right now it's just like a collection of defensive wings which is which is fun but not like I don't know. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll see. There, there's some games left. It wouldn't be crazy if if the the Nuggets just sorry the Nets just need to just need to like grab a hold of anything and hold on to it for dear life, and they'll at least stay in the play-in. So they got a chance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know this point has been talked to death, but this would be such a great team for like prime Ben, ben Simmons to run oh. point for. <laughs> oh, you know, surround him Simmons. with. With four awesome switchable defensive players and, you know, three guys who can space the floor at all times plus a lob threat, you know, that's that's the ideal matchup for like that dream scenario a few seasons ago where we're like, what if you separated Simmons and beat and gave him his team that was like suited for him? Like this is that team, but and he's on the bench. Uh, he's he's not suited for it at this point. Yeah, it's sad. I remember, I remember listening to, I think, a J.J. Redick podcast early in the season. They got Ben Simmons on as a guest. It was like well talked about because no one had heard Ben Simmons speak in, in so long. And I remember him kind of talking about that or talking about how he was excited, talking about that time in Philadelphia when Embiid was injured and they were running up and down the floor and how he like you know wants to sort of get back to offering that to a team. And he sounded like a really nice guy in the interview. And he just sort of like, it's been sad to watch him struggle so much and clearly like not be really like you know mentally well in the context of of playing the sport like I've heard lots of things about his family difficulties and stuff like that where it's just like I hate kind of like you know going on like real GM forums all day and just seeing people take endless shots at the guy when it's clearly like it just feels like what why kick him when he's this far down like Mm-hmm. he's clear, like you know what? what is there even left to say like anyone who hated on him earlier like sure you were right 
like yeah you have to keep just sort of like taking these shots of like a this like completely broken player like i don't know it's it's sad because he was yeah. he was he he had some fun moments and he was definitely an interesting player yeah and hopefully he bounces back and figures it out i, I wish the best for him yeah i mean even see him just like take on a role like he still has like the physical stature the switchable defensive ability like you know the hands and the length uh, he could be a piece for a team it, it would require kind of like a specific role but like there's just so much hesitancy with him now like you know the ball kind of sticks a little bit or like he's afraid to touch it you know like if a little bit of aggression coming back into his game, a little bit of like confidence, whether it's taking the ball to the rim himself or just like making the right read instantly, like he used to be able to do would, would make a world of difference and it would make him a playable piece again. Like it's not like he's had some drastic athletic fall off. Like when he's, when he's played this season, he's been good defensively. So yeah, yeah he was um, getting, he was getting all defense like mentions for the first half yeah, of the season. It's, before it it's purely an, offensive confidence issue and who yeah. knows what what it's rooted in i'm not going to speculate but yeah yeah well a lot of these teams that we were just talking about are also all the teams that have the hardest schedule in the east going down the stretch atlanta toronto brooklyn and new york all have pretty brutal schedules miami's not far behind indiana and chicago and washington are the teams that are actually gonna have the easier time going down the stretch which is like funny because i feel like those yeah. teams are objectively worse than the ones that we talked about but again when things are this close like i don't think it's necessarily like the best teams that are going to grab these spots it's going to come down to just sort of like luck of the draw another interesting thing is that yeah. Cle- cleveland has the easiest remaining schedule in the east and philadelphia has the hardest so it it's it, it's a good bet that cleveland's might finish the three seed yeah okay I, cleveland's my he- pick in the east i like i like are not my pick like they're my audacious pick like if i want to be spicy and fun i'm like cleveland's coming out of the yeah. east. they're, they're going to beat boston or boston and or milwaukee i just i just think they're like they're sneaky really good there's still some i think mm-hmm. they, they've got some holes in the roster but i think that that defense is going to be scary in the playoffs and i think they've got a another level of offense to unlock with those two terrifyingly good offensive guards in the backcourt so i can't wait to see them in the dean, playoffs for the first time and dean wade officially taking over the kevin love role yeah, yeah. He's not he hasn't gotten back into the starting lineup though, has he? He's he's no, now officially no, no. right. The Kevin Love role being the backup power forward. And and Kevin yeah. Love starting for Miami. Yeah, when I saw that, I was like, this doesn't mean Kevin Love is back. This is worrisome for Miami. Yeah, I thought it was a really a, a very worrisome thing for Miami. I'm just like, this guy his his thumb's still broken. He still can't shoot. Like, what are you putting yeah. him on the I mean maybe he, moves he wants the ball. to play. The guy wants to play. And you know, with Kyle, with Kyle Lowry, just sort of like, you know, barely clinging to life. Like maybe they just need a, a veteran decision maker out there at this point sort of thing. But it does feel like the heater, just like you got Bam and Butler, but I don't really know what else you got. Like we already know that hero is a solvable offensive player in the playoffs. So I'm not like, you know, counting on that in a big way. I don't know. Miami, like I said before, just, just, just keep, keep the night going. One more drink, one more, one more soda yep. coke. Like just never, you know the like the sun might be coming up, Miami. That doesn't mean you have to go home. You know what? I think my my closing thought is this: I think the Magic make a run and leapfrog over the Pacers, Wizards, and Bulls for that ten seed. Love it. 
would love to see it. I'm 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 totally down. Magic or I picked I picked the Magic to finish tenth in the East at the start of the season when we did our predictions pod, and I'm 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 in on the Fultzessants. I'm in on Alabancaro continuing to get better as the season goes on, making better decisions with the basketball. I'm down on this defense. Yeah, I, I just think it's a solid team that's capable of playing slightly above 500 basketball, and I think the the few teams above them are going to play slightly below 500 basketball the rest of the way, and they have a chance of getting there. I also think that if in the last couple of games it looked like Paolo is maybe kind of coming out of that, out of the like he hit the rookie wall at one point, it was has been pretty bad yeah. for a while, but he's put together a couple of strong games, and if he can figure it out, like the team's the team's very structurally flawed. Like they like they play they only play guards that can shoot, and they sort of that can't shoot. And they just brought back Michael Carter-Williams to just double down on that approach. But there's a lot going on in this roster. I think Wendell Carter Jr. looks awesome on defense. Like, I just yeah. think, like they, their front court is so good. And if they if, if they want to, like, I guess, like, they're not on OKC's level in terms of how they performed this season. But everything I said about OKC and why I want to see them sneak into the playoffs is, like, I feel the same way about Orlando in the East. Like, that's much more interesting to me than watching Washington or Chicago yeah. um, <laughs> in a, in a play-in game or it would be, it would be the most Washington thing ever to like sneak into the playoffs and, you know, get, get swept in the first round, but still could happen. And you know what? I'm, I'm so encouraged by Jalen Suggs season this year, you know, obviously okay. as a Gonzaga fan, I, I really want to see Jalen Suggs succeed and, you know, not sure if I see all-star potential or anything, but he's such a game record offensively and with his energy, um, and it it doesn't always like end well for him, but he just like adds like a whole nother component to the game. Like, you know, I was watching a magic game the other night and Jalen Suggs got a couple of steals and just like pushed the ball in transition and, you know, missed both of the layups that he attempted because he still <laughs> can't finish at the rim. But like he he is really an impact defensive player, you know, like he's very I think a lot of his 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 athleticism is is starting to become real. He's had so many like nagging injuries these first couple of years. He just didn't look like the same level of athlete early in the year, but he's starting to look more like the guy that we saw at Gonzaga late, as of late. And and he's developed from a horrific three point shooter into just a bad one. You know, like hey, still not a good shooter, progress. but it's <laughs> it's a massive improvement over where he was last year. I think he's like thirty one percent from three for the season. Not great, but like it's a big improvement. So. That's encouraging. Hey, I mean, Kyle Lowry shot 25% from three in his second NBA season and 24% the year after that. And he's always the player I've compared Suggs to. Suggs is more athletic and, but a similar kind of like, you know, disruptive, feisty, versatile player. And so, yeah, like, again, Kyle Lowry looked like a non-offensive entity for the first several years of his career. He'd play in the pick and roll a little bit, but he couldn't shoot. But he was just like a crafty guy that you still like to have in your rotation. And I don't see why that's not in the cards for Jalen Suggs. And then if he just one day in his like sixth year in the league learns how to shoot, he, you know, they're building a statue of you somewhere. Well, Jalen Suggs doesn't have great touch. So that's kind of the one worrying thing about him and his future development. Because <laughs> like a lot of those, yeah. you know, he can get to the rim, but then he just like misses from point blank range. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I'm a little bit worried about Jalen Suggs ever becoming a great offensive player, but you know, the hope is that he's good enough where he doesn't kill you offensively. And then he's just kind of a menace on the other side of the floor. Yeah. It's fun to watch the magic are fun to watch, get, get to the play in magic. We're rooting for you here at the underhand free throw.
Any cl- any closing thoughts? I guess that was your closing thought. I guess we can just wrap, was, th- wrap this baby up and you know let's. That was put, my closing thought. Yeah. Put it on the internet. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to us. You know, talk about all things NBA. They're interesting to us tonight, and you know, we here at the Underhand Free Throw just want to remind you that ball is life. Go Magic, and we'll see you next time.